0: You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann.
1: Hey, disciples and disciple-makers, it is an honor to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight. And right now, today, making disciples of the nations somewhere in the world. Make disciples of the nations, and stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, great to have you with us. Going to talk today a little bit about Ezra and Nehemiah. But before we get there, a couple of things that happened this week, Um, one is I just... I was challenged to put together, um, my, my school Wesley biblical Seminary puts together an advent thing. And I'll, I think I'll tell you later about how to sign up for that if you'd like to, but, uh, they send out to people who are interested little advent devotionals for every day leading up to Christmas. It's, it's pretty cool. And so, uh, th- the guy was in here today saying, Hey, Matt, we need for you to hand in one of these. I said, well, what's it going to be on? Is it one needs to be on peace? One needs to be on love. So I thought, well, uh, peace. What do I say about peace? So I did a little research, and there was a guy named, he's an apologist, a defender of the faith named Michael Ramsden. And he shared about a time when a friend of his was with an audience, and he asked the audience to imagine peace. So close your eyes, he said. Everybody close your eyes. Just think about peace. So after a few moments, he asked the audience, now, just share what you saw. What were your impressions? What did you envision? And one person relayed, well, I, I, I saw flowers and, and, and beautiful trees. Another said, yeah, it was mountaintops for me. I mean, snow peaks and, and pine trees on the, on the spacious landscape. That's what I saw. Anybody else? Yeah. Another spoke of a beautiful, serene lake. But one, <laughs> this, one thing was missing from all the peace pictures. One thing. Have you caught it yet? There were no people in any of them. <laughs> Not just those three, but everything that was shared. That there, there's peace. There's peace because there's no people. To which uh, Michael Ramsden says, "Isn't it interesting? When asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is get rid of everyone. <laughs> no people. All right. So this is Advent. I'm thinking of now. How do I? <laughs> there's my great peace illustration. How do I? How do I morph that into a lesson here? And this is what I decided on. Peace this Advent means that while the shalom, and of course that's the great Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. So the great shalom and peace, it, it undoubtedly has something to do with nature, but mostly, mostly what it has something to do with is people, persons, and and the greatest of all three persons: Father, Son, and Spirit, and of course all other persons on planet Earth. And so this tri-personal God, remember, person. Father's a person, son's a person, spirit's a person. So this tri-personal, the three-personal God, has lived in love and harmony with one another for all eternity. And now they want to give us the grace necessary to reflect that image of shalom among all people. I mean, among all people, so that the world can know about peace. But it's definitely if you if you're gonna if someone does this don't don't get tricked by anybody just go ahead and recognize all right there's something that needs to happen when I close my eyes and think about peace people need to be in the picture y'all that's the point of peace is uh, it's definitely about people so that that was uh, one thing that I thought was kind of fun and and interesting and wanted to share with you the other thing was I was out at. Um, the prison now. So I, I go out to a prison on a regular basis, and I love to preach the gospel. It, it it is. I'll just tell you straight up, it is my favorite place to preach. I just love going out there and saying, "Listen, this is this is what Jesus is all about," and you can receive him tonight if you'd like. To. I just love that. It's a is what revs my motor. But having said that, when I when I go out to a place like uh, the prison, the assembled are there and. Uh, I, I really get turned on about, about sharing, but the fact of the matter, some days is better than other days. And so this week it was kind of rough. They weren't very impressed with me. I can tell you right now, they, uh, they decided a nice little crowd had about 20 guys that decided to walk over from where they were to, to be a part of this. But I just, uh, I was just very (laughs) impressed that, uh, they weren't impressed. And so one of the guys afterwards that had asked a couple of questions during the meeting, he was troubled about, finally said, Listen, I I want to talk to you. I come over and say, Yeah, man, what what do you need? He says, Do you have any superpowers? I said, Superpowers. Yeah, superpowers. I said, Well, no, I I don't have superpowers. But then all of a sudden, Don wait a minute. I know someone who (laughs) I I know someone who has superpowers. You want to talk with him right now? He said, Yeah, man, I want to talk with him. All right, here we go. And so we prayed to Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ superstar? How about Jesus Christ, That's superpower? Yes, indeed, I think he can make a case. He is omnipotent, we say, right? He's all-powerful. That's superpower. So I just said, let's pray to Jesus Christ, superpower. And I said, Jesus, I want justice to be fulfilled in this man's heart and life. And, of course, he didn't really like that that part of the prayer. He wanted out of there. And that's what he wanted. I want out of here. Can the superpower get me out of here? And so I just prayed, Lord, I just pray that... uh, you would bring all your power to bear on this particular man and that you would get him out of here just as soon as justice is fulfilled and he has abandoned his life completely to you. May it be so. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you do a powerful thing in this young man's life. Amen. Yeah, he wasn't real thrilled with that prayer either. So he he kind of he kind of stormed off. I think he wanted to say, "Man, if you got some superpower, I want out. Get me out of here." I'm thinking, you know, the best stories that have come to me out of the place where I go to on a regular basis. My friend, my my executive pastor at my church, uh, came out of one of those stories. I mean, he's a two time felon, and he loves Jesus today, and he is serving uh, Jesus powerfully, and he's doing it in my church as my executive pastor. It's a beautiful story, but I'm going to tell you, it wasn't because he got immediately out of there. It's because he was there long enough for Jesus to do something powerful in his life. And boy, you see it over and over again. If, if if these guys will just let Jesus do it, Jesus will do it. And, of course, there are good ways and bad ways to do prison ministry. We, we're always looking for a better way, but may God. Bless us as we try to make those efforts, and and God bless you. Listen, disciples can be made anywhere. This is the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Lives can be changed anywhere, and I think Jesus has a very special place in His heart for the poor, for the impoverished, for the disenfranchised, and yes, for prisoners, and I think it is really important that we try to get to needy people, especially not only but especially because those are the very people Jesus tried to get to. And there's something powerful that happens in us when we do it. You remember Matthew 25, I was hungry, and you gave me food. And inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me, says Jesus. I was in prison, and you came to me. And inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me, says Jesus. I just think there's something powerful that happens in all of that. We're going to have a guest on here in a minute. Before we get there, let me just go ahead and say one of the sponsors of our program is, of course, Wesley Biblical Seminary. I've taught here in this school for 35 years. I'm in my 36th year. One of the best seminaries in the world, undoubtedly, and a place where you can come and check out the various wonderful things we can offer. we got a lay program that is, you know, don't have any training at all. Get in our Wesley Institute. It is outstanding. We got a Bible part of it, a theology part of it. Of it. Yeah, I think you're going to love it. We've got an undergraduate program. Yep, we've got a college, and it is outstanding. We got master's programs where you can get your MA or your MDiv. Uh, we got a doctoral program, uh, a DMIN program. Uh, we've got so many good and wonderful and extraordinary things happening here. I want you to be a part of it. So check it out, and you can do that at wbs.edu. That's wbs.edu edu. Also want to remind you, we got a new book out on the market called The New Discipleship in the Home, and you can go check that out. By the way, uh, if you want to get a, uh, how do I say this? I I guess it's an audio version, someone reading the book, uh, a guy that's a lot better reader than I am reading the book, you can go to 5qdiscipleship.com. That's five, the number five, qdiscipleship.com you can actually listen to it as an audiobook and i highly recommend that it's i think it's pretty good stuff and if you're raising a young family i think it will really help you and by the way if you're not raising a young family i put a chapter in there this time on grandparenting, how to be an extraordinary grandparent and so check out the new discipleship in the home get it at amazon.com and of course we would very much love for you to uh, to make that part of your life and to make disciples in the home. All right, as promised, we're going to do a little uh, Ezra and Nehemiah activity today. And I decided to ask in a guy I'm a little bit familiar with because he is my, let me see, one, two, three, a third born son, uh, Elijah Friedemann, who's also the vice president for enrollment at Wesley Biblical Seminary. And good to have you with us.
0: Yeah, excited to be here, excited to share a little bit from these books.
1: I, well, I forgot your name. Good to have you with us, Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, I actually did write it down in case. I got the brain. I'm, I'm in that time of life now where it's amazing the things you forget. It's,
0: especially when you usually call me your favorite son. It's, uh, well, it's hard to remember the name
1: sometimes. <laughs> when <laughs> The only guy I care about in the family. <laughs> uh, so you, I think I remember this. Didn't you recently do something? in Ezra Nehemiah? Yeah, I did a sermon
0: series back, mainly through Nehemiah, focused on Nehemiah. Which, as far year. as
1: we're concerned, is expert it on makes, this program. It makes me an expert at this yeah, point. Yeah, if you've preached on it, brother, you're, you're an expert. So here we go. Uh, we What we typically do here at the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, as well you know, if you listen much, is we like to take, take books of the Bible. And this is, this is kind of a two-volume work, I think, anyway, Ezra and Nehemiah. But whether it is or not, we're going to do those books together. And I've limited him... Listen, pretty much every sermon he does he's going to have five points, but I've limited him to five points for both Ezra and Nehemiah, which means he's really got to go for the highlights here. So Elijah, thanks for joining us, and I'm just going to give you five whacks here. Let's take them one at a time. From Ezra and Nehemiah, discipleship point number one.
0: Yeah, starting off in Ezra, and we're going to move through faster than this, I promise, but Ezra chapter one, verse one, it says, "...the Lord stirred up the spirit mm. of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation." And this is what he said, "...thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem." So the first discipleship insight is this. The Spirit is at work in surprising places. Sometimes I think we get used to, especially people who've been in ministry or been in discipling for a while, we get used to things working in a certain way. It's going to take this kind of process. It's going to take this kind of time for someone to change or to reach this point. Uh, or maybe we just write other types of people off. These aren't the people I should be focusing on discipling right now. And we just got to step back and realize the Spirit's at work. And sometimes he's at work in the most pagan of kings to build him a temple. And that that's what's amazing about it is the
1: most pagan of kings, well, it, the most powerful man in the world, one of the most powerful men in the world. And the Lord says, I'm going to change your heart here, and I'm going to have you do something that's pretty much miraculous.
0: Yeah, and it accomplishes something that no, no one since David, or Solomon really, Solomon built the temple, no one since Solomon had done, no king since Solomon had done. And suddenly it's this pagan king doing it. And so as we're discipling people, as we're looking for discipling relationships, looking for where God's moving and we can partner with him, I think we need to expand out what we're looking for. I'm actually convinced right now that in a post-COVID era, the Lord is moving in unlikely places more than ever before. And I really think... And the data actually shows this out. I, I kind of had felt this anecdotally, but I think there's a revival breaking out among young, a younger generation right now, 18 to 30s. Have you seen the data this the da- week? The data backs it up. Well, I don't know this week. is, oh, it, the, is Barna There's the, 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 out
1: some stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I don't know if it's Barna, but someone... The, the, there are more millennials
0: now going to church than there were pre COVID. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, so I saw that data. But why recently. would that
1: be? You're, I mean, you're a millennial pastor. Why, why is that?
0: Yeah, I don't. I, I, my, my best answer. This is through because I've seen it anecdotally. I've seen person after person who's eighteen to thirty years old. They're, they're genuinely following Jesus now. Maybe they, you know, had some faith commitment before, but they're genuinely following Jesus now. And I don't know why it is, other than I think there's just this slow-moving revival that's starting to break out in unlikely places. I mean, who would have thought when COVID hits, you think, man, in two years, I bet we're just going to have more young adults at church than ever before. I don't think anyone would have guessed that was the outcome, and here we are. But it's also flying under the radar. I don't think people are focusing on it. Well, it's so flying under the radar, some people are doubting the research. (laughs) There's just no way. But listen,
1: you have a church that's largely millennials.
0: Yeah, so our church is probably 60 to 65%, 18 to 30-year-olds. So, which is gonna be, it's gonna be younger millennials and and Gen Z.
1: Pretty much, you're larger
0: now than you've ever been. Much larger than we've ever been, and reaching more of that age group than we've ever reached. And then just the stories of people I know who might have even been going to church, but like they've truly been born again by the Spirit of God, Um, person after person, and seeing lots of people. And this isn't a surprise at that at that age range, but saved out of like deep sexual sin or saved out of sexual sin in their lives and set free from that, truly following Jesus. There's this revival, and what's encouraging to me is that we may not fully realize the effects of of this revival for decades, but the first Great Awakening, they didn't realize at the time that this Great Awakening was happening. They didn't have a name for it. They just looked back a couple decades on and thought, wow. Look what happened. Yeah, look what happened to our society, look what happened to our churches. I think we're in the middle of that right now. So the Spirit is at work in surprising places.
1: Now, what's interesting about this is this, this is relevant for everybody listening, because... You know, some people right now, Elijah, are going through some dark times in their life right now. And you just think, yeah, just hang on. God's at work. God's doing some things you don't know anything about that you can't know anything about in some unusual hearts. And, and I thought this, you know, wasn't but a couple of um, elections ago where I was standing out in front of the abortion clinic. And probably, Elijah, you were there because you, you were there for years. Uh, outside the abortion clinic and Miss Patricia if you remember was just crying why does god continue to mm-hmm. allow this to happen i thought i don't know but but miss patricia you better be ready to be out here for the rest of your life cuz we're going to be here for the rest of our lives protesting this and she cried even more and 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 guess what? God moved in human hearts, and look at us now. Roe v. Wade has been overturned, and abortion still goes on in America, but it doesn't go on in the state of Mississippi, and it doesn't go on at that abortion
0: clinic that we were standing in front of. God was at work, Elijah? In surprising places, and with an outcome we couldn't have imagined a couple years ago. Now, this is how
1: I think it's very practical for us. Uh, On my prayer sheet every morning, I have a bother list. Uh, Seven or eight things that can't happen unless God does them. There's just no way. And four of them have to do with very real situations right now in my life and I'm thinking, Lord, I want this to happen. I think you want this to happen, but I can't make it. I don't have the skill set, I don't have the smarts, I don't have the the anything to make this happen. I need you to make it happen. And it looks like on a couple of them it's actually gonna work. I mean it's, it's it's gonna happen.
0: And from surprising places. From surprise from, from- you, yeah. you would have guessed didn't it. would not see Wouldn't it have known. Yeah, didn't see it coming. Oh. Here we are. All right.
1: First, the first thing Ezra and Nehemiah is God is moving in unexpected places to do some surprising things, amazing things. Number two.
0: Yeah, develop a sense of God's calling and favor, particularly in your discipleship. So mm-hmm. develop a sense of God's calling and favor. When we're introduced to Nehemiah, he is serving He's a cupbearer to the king, and he's told about this issue back in Jerusalem. There's no wall around the city, and he he breaks down. He has this deep burden that comes from the Lord, which develops, this is interesting, his burden develops into his calling. Hmm. And so he's he's burdened by the Lord, he's sorrowful, and that develops into a calling. And then Ezra... He's different. He's We're introduced to him in, in chapter 7, get to know his background a little bit. He's a scribe. He has a passion for God's Word. He has a passion to teach others. It says he actually does it, right, which is a refreshing change of pace. He's actually following God's Word. But his calling came, comes from his passion for God's Word. It's a different kind of burden that he had. Now, what's interesting about both of them is six times in Ezra and then two times in Nehemiah, there's this phrase, the hand of God or the hand of the Lord is on me. The hand of the Lord was on us. And over and over again, they both have this sense of the hand of the Lord is on me. And I love it because they're coming from different places. One of them is more of a pastor, seminary professor. That would be Ezra. The other one's just a guy working his job, right? He's just a normal guy, doesn't have this calling to any sort of formalized ministry. But they both express a deep sense of calling from the Lord with a sense of God's favor as well on them. Now, here's the application in discipleship. I mean, when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, he said, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I think that that promise to us is based on our obedience to the Great Commission. Jesus wasn't saying to all people for all time, I'm with you always. He's saying to those who are making disciples, to those who are following him, I'm with you always. And so I think we should walk, whether you're a pastor or whether you're just just a, a person who's working a normal job. And the Lord has a deep sense of calling he wants to give you and a deep understanding of his favor that's with you as you disciple. So let me ask you this. If someone feels that hand
1: upon them, if someone feels God's favor, uh, what difference does that make in how they live their lives? Now, what's, what's, how's their temperament different? How's their
0: approach to problems different? Yeah, I, I think there's a spiritual confidence that comes from that. And not an arrogance, but just this deep sense of, the Lord's with me. And The Lord's with me. Not, nothing can stand against me, and you see that over and over again. It, especially in the Old Testament, right? You get some of these stories when when guys and gals know that the Lord is on their side. It changes everything about how they walk, about how they will, about the boldness they have, about what they're willing to confront. And you know, every Christian should have a sense of that already. But I think as we walk in discipleship. That, that sense should be ratcheted up to the next level, because God is with us, He's for it, and there's nothing closer to the heart of God, I don't believe, than making disciples.
1: We are in Ezra Nehemiah, Elijah Friedman, sharing with us five discipleship points from these two incredible volumes. Uh, number one, God's moving in unexpected places, and amen to that. Number two, develop a sense, we need to develop a sense of God's calling and favor on our lives.
0: Uh, number three, Elijah? Jealously guard marriage. So you get this in Ezra in particular. Ezra comes in, he sees the sin of the people, and one of the biggest sins, in fact, one of the areas that is leading them deeper into sin, is how they had taken spouses from the surrounding area, in particular wives, the men of Israel had taken wives from the surrounding area. And he says that, you know, we're we're a holy offspring, and we are corrupting that by marrying other peoples. And, and you know this this raises issues for someone who's not you know hasn't studied it are we not supposed to marry other races and that's not the point at all it's here it's you're not supposed to marry people who aren't following god and this is this is the downfall so many times in the old testament and it was the downfall here and so Ezra was willing to make the tough decision to say we've got to jealously guard marriage and he has all these men divorce their wives now you know bringing that into our context i wouldn't say that's what we need to do but we need to jealously guard marriage and as evangelicals we have done a terrible job of this yeah. all across the board.
1: So what we say in our church is what we don't want to be as a church is a blessing machine. In other words, any marriage that comes along says, hey, we, we'd like to have you as our pastor. To, and I'm just thinking, well, a few questions first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't marry people who aren't both Christians. That's for starters. I mean, that, I think that's the message here is you guard that kind of thing in, in your life. Um, and if you don't, I tell you the, the, the most incredible story of all in this is solomon. Mm-hmm. why is yes. this why is this man i think he could make the case smartest man who ever lived and would have been bill gates kind of a, kind of income. I mean extraordinary, but man, what a horrific story and he starts it off almost as soon as he can. He he goes down to Egypt, and marries a woman that's not one
0: of his tribe, and guess what happens? We're off to the races. And that, and we see that happen over and over again. People, well-intentioned people, people who even love the Lord, people who are wise in so many ways, making the dumbest of decisions when it comes to marriage. All right, how do we do that? How do we? How is it that we position ourselves for that dumb decision? Oh, I mean, I, th- I think I th- it really comes down to an individualism. I think that says, what what satisfies or fulfills me is what's most important, and then the, the unwillingness to accept accountability, to build accountability into our lives and then accept it when it comes. Now, I really like that one. Go check with other people that love
1: Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that hopefully is your pastor, but you, you ought to have some brothers and sisters around that can check you on these things, as well as uh, the body of Christ. Uh, and you know, the real tragedy of these things, when I've seen
0: them happen, is that accountability is very much lacking. Yeah, it is. And as we see we see this issue about who you decide to marry, and then when you decide to divorce, people are just making these decisions based on their own individualized happiness or desires, and that's what we've got to bring accountability in and jealously guard marriage. All right, discipleship point number four, what do you got? Rightly value fasting with prayer. mm so this, I think this is where we really fall short on discipleship, in, in discipling, in terms of how we approach discipleship, and then in the disciples we're raising up. You can't get away from the absolute importance of fasting in the Christian life and in the lives of followers of God throughout the Bible and then throughout Christian history. It's absolutely essential, and we are terrible at fasting in the U.S., um, I think we we often like to substitute other things for fasting instead of actually fasting food, which is what almost all these fasts in the Bible would have been.
1: You've done some international travel, so have I. When I go to Africa and I say, you know, Americans really don't fast, they're just stunned. They can't believe it. Now, there are pockets, there are, there's some examples, but on the whole, uh, we've got... I bet the vast, vast majority of churches in America never teach on it and surely don't practice it. Now... How do we miss that in the Bible? I mean, it's kind of there. And Jesus didn't say, hey, if you fast. He says, when you fast in the Sermon
0: on the Mount, and he teaches you how to do it. How do we miss that message? I think it's because when we're preaching on Sundays, everyone's thinking about lunch. <laughs> it's hard, hard to get excited about fasting when lunch is coming up right yeah. after that. I mean, it's, it's I think it's a, it's a classic American challenge if we don't want to deny ourselves, and we're not used to denying ourselves. Same, you know, same issue with the marriage we are just talking about, the marriage challenges. We don't want to deny ourselves, deny what we perceive as our happiness. Same things here. We don't want to deny ourselves food for 24 hours. Um, folks, and, and Bill I think it's Bill Bright said that fasting is a spiritual atomic bomb. Yes. It just unleashes the power of God. You see this in both their lives, Ezra chapter 8, when they're preparing. It's actually really funny to me. Ezra said that he had told the king the hand of God is on me, so he felt ashamed to ask for protection for soldiers. So he thought, well, if, if we're actually trusting that God's here and he's present, let's fast and pray and pray for his protection. And the Lord protected them. Now, I think fasting, uh, I've often
1: wondered, well, why why is that so important? Why is that a huge thing? And I think it's simply this. I think it's practice, little mini practice in self-denial. I think you just say, I'm willing to do this, cause myself a little discomfort, say no, so that I can give myself, especially to the Lord during these times, but I just don't think
0: uh, the Western culture, American culture in particular, is very good at self-denial. We don't like self-denial. And the other thing fasting does is that it just it, it reminds us our reliance on God. So I think it's actually a, a, a spiritually deepening practice of not just denying ourselves, but recognizing, wow, we need, we need God, we need food to survive, we need God to do anything, and opening up our lives to Him in a new way. Now, there's a couple of mini-revivals I've seen of fasting in this country. You mentioned
1: Bill Bright. Uh, and he founded Campus Crusade for Christ, and he he was a big faster. He loved fasting. Uh, he thought it was very important, so he did it, and you know explained to other people they needed to do it. There was a little mini revival fasting then. Then Richard Foster came out with Celebration of Discipline mm. and had a chapter on it. That's when I first discovered. I thought this is a thing, uh, but he teaches gives very very good you know ups and downs about how to do it and how to do it well. So I I but I don't. See it anywhere right now that people are really focusing on it and making it happen. There it is. There, there's little bubbles of it here and there, but on the whole, evangelical culture. Would gain much if we regain
0: that discipline. Absolutely, I, I baptized someone the other day, and we were talking about how to do baptism. So I went back to this early Christian document called called the Didache. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from the early church. It's not in Scripture, but it, it's helpful understanding what the early church did. And it said around baptism, they actually had the people being baptized, and the person doing the baptism would fast for a day or two leading up to it. Mm. It was it was built into everything they did not just not just in general for prayer, but every practice they had included fasting. And I think we we miss out on something when we don't have it. And ne- what's interesting is Nehemiah he he spends it seems like four months fasting and praying after he senses this burden before he takes action. Wow. So he spent this four now he's not fasting all four months, but he's you know this, this four month period he's regularly fasting and praying before he even approaches the king because he apparently valued fasting and prayer that much. It's that big of a difference maker.
1: Well, furthermore, it was a very dangerous thing to approach the king like he did. Uh, if the king shows you
0: favor, that's great. If he doesn't, you're dead. He probably thought the more fasting I can put in ahead of time, <laughs> the better. The more, the more I can put myself less, in a position to less receive of me to die. This right. <laughs> <laughs> so, by the way, the
1: Didache. Uh, Elijah just mentioned that uh, a lot of people refer to it as the early discipleship manual of the church. And so, check it out. You can go to you can go find it on the internet. It's the Didache is spelled D-I-D-A-C-H-E. Just go check it out. It's kind of funny. It's, it's real quick read. It's not like it's a book. It's not a book. It's a document. And uh, it's the... Okay, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. So Ezra and Nehemiah, God's moving in unexpected places. That's a great discipleship uh, uh, dynamic. Uh, develop a sense of God's calling and favor. A jealous, jealously guard marriage, and amen to that. Uh, rightly value fasting and prayer. And so this is like the climactic point. Elijah knows how to bring things to a, a major apex moment so here we go sobship component number five
0: of ezra and nehemiah yeah, and this is key especially in ezra but it won't seem exciting and that is stay <laughs> oh, stay oh, focused no. <laughs> stay focused on what god has put in front of you uh i don't know that, that's pretty it, good know, that's that's just just keep and use this word i don't know if you use it on this podcast i've heard you use it in your life and ministry you keep slogging away keep getting after it so chapter three of nehemiah is focused on the different groups of people and just where they built they each had a section they just built they just worked on that section they just kept after it. didn't have to do the whole thing just do this thing focus on what's in front of you that's good ezra came back and he just he just kept pushing through stayed focused on what god has put in front of him nehemiah stayed focused on what this is what's amazing to me about nehemiah so he spends four months in fasting and prayer. And then he travels back to Jerusalem and lays the groundwork there. When they finally start building the wall, it tells us in Nehemiah chapter six, they build the wall in fifty-two days. Fifty-two days. So this is this is a problem. It had been an issue for so long. It had the wall had been torn down in Jerusalem for more than fifty-two thousand days, and they come back and in less than two months they rebuild the wall simply by staying focused. On what God had put in front of them. I think there's an amazing lesson for us here, because I, I believe God wants to do so many things that get short circuited by us as humans because we quit too early.
1: So if, can I add a point? Go I'm for it. I going to do number six. And I think you'll agree with that it, because it's in both Ezra and Nehemiah. When you do God's thing, expect enemies. Mm, they come. And I mean they're gonna come, and that's what makes that 52-day thing so remarkable, is they had enemies breathing down their neck. The whole time.
0: Yeah, they're fighting with weapons at their side, right? They're ready to defend, and they still get it done in 52 days.
1: I think it's important anyway. You think, hey, I'm doing the, the will of Jesus. so uh, I'm going in the mission field. Let me go to the mission field. It's going to be such a wonderful thing. I'm going to preach Jesus, and masses are going to come. And you go to the mission field and find out, oh, my goodness, they don't like me. <laughs> oh, my goodness, lots of people don't like me. Oh, my goodness, I'm in trouble. Uh, and that actually comes with doing the will of the Lord. Enemy, opposition trouble it comes
0: and keep pushing through anyway
1: well you've learned you that, that, that you're a you're a probably not even fair to call it a church plant anymore but you've planted a church probably get into it thinking man this is gonna be great i'm gonna preach some sermons people are gonna flock to us it's going to be just wonderful and you find out somewhere in there wow this is hard this is work yeah it's a grind it should keep going. I but, like that, that word slogging keeps coming up, but I
0: mean, you just got to keep slogging. Yeah. But that's true about every, this is not just true in in pastoral ministry. This is true for everybody listening right now, whether they're in, in some sort of full time ministry or not. We've just got to keep pushing through, whether it's marriage, whether it's family, whether it's the ministry God's put in front of you, the calling He's put on your life, keep pushing through. So,
1: this is what I'll say um, if you're a Christian, trouble comes. So expect it. The Bible not only predicts it, the Bible says, the Bible prophesies it, it's going to come. Here's the other side of that, though, Elijah. That comes whether you're a Christian or not. It's true. It comes for everybody. Trouble comes. I'd rather have God on my side when it comes, because it's going to come for you whether you're a Christian or not. It just, you can't expect everything to be smooth after you make a commitment to Christ and to His work.
0: In a chaotic world, would you rather have the hand of God on you or not? Right? We live in a chaotic world. We know that. When we're staying in God's will, following His calling, the favor of God, the blessing of God, the calling of God is with us.
1: So Ezra goes back, and he and the people uh, build a temple. And then, of course, Saul, uh, Nehemiah comes along, and he builds the walls around the city of Jerusalem. It's an incredible thing, and it's not that long of a read, folks. Go read Ezra and Nehemiah. Any wrap-up to all this?
0: I would just encourage people who listen right now, like make sure you are on mission with Jesus. You you have a sense of calling from him. you living in his favor, and then just keep at it. Don't give up. Keep focusing on the things God values. Keep pushing forward. Focus on what He's put in front of you, and we should expect God to do amazing things.
1: Good stuff. That's Elijah Friedemann, Vice President for Enrollment at Wesley Biblical Seminary. And it's a wrap. It's an honor to have you listening to Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedman. Hey, check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship. Check me, Matt Freedom, out on Twitter. I'm right there for you. And remember, check out our books at Amazon.com, especially the new Discipleship in the Home. Make sure you get the new one, the new Discipleship in the Home. And always, always, tell others about our podcast remember my wife thanks you my daughter thanks you my sons and their wives thank you and i can assure that i thank you for listening to life-changing discipleship today love god live clean keep the faith make disciples keep slogging and god loves you dear friends we'll see you back here real soon